At Parker, our purpose is simple. We want to make the world a better place. By working more efficiently. By using more sustainable practices. By developing better technologies. We keep moving forward. With each new idea, innovation, and partnership, we're one step closer to fulfilling our purpose every single day. To find out more, visit parker.com slash purpose. Parker, engineering your success. Welcome to Infertility and Me podcast, a show that amplifies diverse stories about the struggles of infertility and fertility in a safe space. Our goal is to normalize fertility stories that validate, give hope, and create a community where no one is left silently suffering. You guys, welcome, welcome, welcome to another episode of Infertility and Me podcast. I am your host, Monique Farouk. If this is your first time here on the show, welcome, welcome, welcome to the shit show that is in fertility. If you would like to join our community chat, download the Discord app, D-I-S-C-O-R-D, Discord app, so that you can connect with others who have been or still in the throes and woes of infertility and or loss. Find your people, find your tribe, connect with me on Instagram at Infertility and Me Podcast, because it's a fucking blast over at Infertility and Me Podcast, okay? Anywho, you guys, today our guest is Jade Barrett. Jade and her husband spent years trying to conceive before Jade was diagnosed with stage 2 endometriosis, despite her previous doctors telling her that she did not have it and she had a clean bill of health. And it wasn't until she advocated for herself that Jade pressured her specialist to proceed with a receptiva test. And it was found that she did have endometriosis and her spouse had male factor issues as well which contributed to their infertility and also they had infertility because of age and so today jade shares with us her story anonymously you can find her on instagram at jade barrett author and i will have her instagram handle connected in today's show details so that you can tap and go and check out her book as well and the name of that book is called the good news is you don't have endometriosis which is available on kindle and on amazon we'll be back in just a second with jade thank you jade for coming on the show and speaking to us about your story of trying to conceive to motherhood and I appreciate you, girl. Thank you so much for having me, Monique. Really excited to talk tonight. Girl, what, what, how did you meet your spouse? How did you guys meet? When did it happen? Was it on Tinder? Was it on Facebook? I get all the good stories. So tell us how you guys met. And It was so romantic, Monique. It was, it was beyond words. We met on Match.com. So it was just magic. You know, like I just got let go from my job. My boyfriend broke up with me at the time. So I figured this is the perfect time to meet my husband. My friends actually chipped in for uh, a, a membership to match.com. I think at the time it was like $80. So everybody threw in 20 bucks. They're like, let's, let's throw her a bone here. It was just fun. Like being on match was super fun. So it was just going on lots of dates. I went on a date with all sorts of people. You know, somebody worked on Wall Street, guy who sold fish. And then I met my knight in shining armor. So Brendan is uh, now my husband of 10 years, 
and we met on Match, and our first date was just magical. We went to a local bar. I had a burger. I got sick on it. I had to leave. <laughs> the rest is history, and I was just kind of like, I have to go. I'm really sorry. I'm sick right now, and I figured I'm never going to hear from him again, but um, he texted me to see if I got home safely, and and I was like, really? You want to see me again? You do? And he did, and, and we saw each other pretty much every day since then, so it's Monique. It was just a true love story, you know? everything short of the white horse and, and Prince Charming. So, Yes, I love that. I love that it all worked out for you. So how old were you when you guys got married? How old we were, you were 30 time? years old. And did you guys begin to start trying right away or did you wait a little while, take some time and just get to know each other as husband and wife? We waited because, you know, you know how it goes, Monique. You're going to conceive right away. Everybody is. Of course. Like, absolutely. Don't share a chair with Brendan. It's dangerous. So we waited, you know, that came back to bite us, unfortunately. I just wasn't ready yet. I wasn't there. I needed to sow my oats a bit. We wanted to travel. So we waited, I think, like two and a half years to start trying. I'm a high school teacher, so I get real motivated to try to conceive over the summer because I have time. You know, it, it just seemed like it was going to happen right away. So I'm like, oh, we time it out perfectly. I'm going to have my spring baby, go on maternity leave, come back in September and just do all that good stuff. And then it, it didn't happen and it didn't happen and it didn't happen. So finally, <laughs> after many attempts, trying everything under the sun, my husband was like, hey, we got to go talk to somebody. We need to go see a doctor. This There's, there's something going on. And it still took me time because I was like, no way, no, no, we just got to give it more time. We don't need anybody. So it was, it was a long road from that point forward. So how long did you wait exactly to see a reproductive endocrinologist or see your OBGYN to get some preliminary testing before, you know, they give you a referral? I want to say it was a couple of months because I went through testing. I had the HSG done. They did that. Everything came back clean. What else did I have done? I just had a regular ultrasound done with the wand. And little did I know that would be the first of 4 billion times of getting the wand. And that, that, that didn't reveal any issues. And it wasn't until my husband had a sperm analysis that we got some light on, on what was going on. So he, it came back that he has lousy sperm, that he has low sperm count. It's, the morphology was bad. It, motility, all of it, the whole thing was just bad. And I was just like, oh man, <laughs> this isn't good. So, you know, like it, the uh, results had to be analyzed by my OBGYN. And, and when she got them, she called me up and she was like, you guys need IVF. You need to go see a reproductive endocrinologist. And even then I was still saying, there's no way we got to have another test. This can't be real because I knew so little about infertility. And I think I, you know, no, nobody, this is not something that people actively research you know, because everybody thinks, hey, it's, it's going to happen to me in, in two seconds because we grow up, or at least young girls grow up thinking, hey, one false move and you're having a kid in nine months. Like, you better watch it. I, just, I still didn't believe in it. It still took us time to, for me to get into that mindset of like, all right, we got to go talk to somebody. And then, and then we eventually did. Regardless of who had the, you know, reproductive issue, I'm feeling like you were just in shock for a while. Yeah. Is that kind of how it felt for you in the very beginning when you were trying to process the diagnosis? It took a long, and I'm glad they used the word process because it took a long time to process. I went into the mindset of I'm taking the fall for you because you're not the one that has to take all these needles. You're not the one that has to go through all this. I do for your problem. And then I got to go ahead and, and, you know, if we are successful, then I have to carry the kid for nine months. Uh, no, <laughs> that, that just didn't sit well with me. And I was really upset and in denial and embarrassed. And, and I think a lot of people go through all of that because it's like, 
and you feel like everybody knows. And I think you had, that was on your Instagram. It, it is that same feeling. I was cracking up with that the other day because it's true. Like you feel like you, it, it's this alarm sound. It's like, er, 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 I'm infertile. You feel like everybody knows, but, um, you know, since then just through the experience, I, I'm not ashamed of it anymore. And I'm glad that, that our story can, can hopefully help other couples who are, who are going through the same thing because it's rough. And, and you need that support. Yeah, absolutely. Our first consultation at the clinic was a disaster because this guy was just in the worst mood possible. And I feel like if you are delivering news like this to a couple saying that you're not having a child naturally without a medical intervention, you need to do so with compassion and kindness. And, and he didn't do that. So that, you know, initially put my, my guard up. I'm freaking out and, and you know. I, I usually use humor as like a, a defense mechanism. And I was just kind of like, Hey, well, you know, we'll get two embryos, throw them in there. We'll have twins game over. And he was like, and I was like, or we could just hire a surrogate. Why don't we just do that? You know? And I have no idea what any of this means. I barely knew what an embryo was. I'm not a biology teacher. I teach history. So I'm like, I don't even know. I'm just throwing things out there. And, and he was like, well, maybe you shouldn't be a parent. And I was like, uh, you know, you might want to, back that shit up because that's that's not yeah that's back not it okay. all the way up yeah so after wow. that it just kind of set the tone for the rest of uh that experience at the clinic that night we went and, and of course you know i'm on day three he's like you're on day three really come with me and then now i'm getting the wand again and it was it was crazy i just came from the gym i just wasn't expecting to have to strip down and and get wanded and have seven vials of blood taken because that's what they did and you know, like I didn't feel bad about how bad I smelled when, when, you know, everything was going on. And my husband was like, really? And I was like, yeah, I, I didn't know this was happening. So like, you know, the way the doctor treated us, I was like, good for you, man. Have fun with that. All that was going on and all that stuff came back. I had good follicles. My blood test was fine. Everything was fine there. So it wasn't until we had a failed embryo transfer that summer, I wanted to delve deeper into this. And I'm sure anybody out there who's had a failed transfer the the number of hours you spend on Google trying to figure out why that happened is endless. Through my six billion hours of research on on um, on Google, I found the Receptiva text uh, test. And um, for anybody who doesn't know what that is, Receptiva DX is an endometrial biopsy where they can detect inflammation in your lining. They can pretty accurately diagnose you with some form of endometriosis. So. I had known for a while, my periods got much heavier, heavier when I got into my thirties. And I thought that that was a, a distinct possibility. And now we had the failed embryo transfer. We don't have any more to use. This was the only genetically normal one. And, you know, my, literally all of my eggs were in one basket and in one uterus. <laughs> so it was like, that was it. If it didn't work, then, then it was back to the drawing board. So you can only imagine just how scary and frustrating and upsetting that was to have to start all over again. Per the doctor, she said that I don't have endometriosis. I don't need this test. So I pushed for it. Um, and in that time, we actually went to a second opinion. And the other issue that I have with the whole process is too, is they're just asking you these, these baseline questions. Well, how long is your period? Four days. You know, and I said it was heavier the first two days, then it tapered off after that. How much do you bleed? How many tampons do you use a day? And I, I don't know what number I gave. I can't remember at this point. But that doctor, the second opinion doctor, was the one who said, well, the good news is you don't have endometriosis. And I was like, and that is going to be the title of my book if I, in fact, do have endometriosis. While we were doing the second opinion, I was 
I did go through with the receptiva test. And I, I said to the doctor that we were seeing, I was like, I'm doing this test. We have nothing to lose. And if it comes back clean, then it's one more thing we can check off the list. Pain in the butt to go to the clinic every day and get the blood drawn. They got to catch like the LH surge that day. So they know when to, to do the scrape. You know, the scrape was miserable, but lo and behold, we get the test results back and I tested abnormal in two out of the three categories that they tested for us. Hey, good news is I don't have endometriosis, right guys? Right docs? That was it. So in this time, I'm, you know, I'm like riding my husband about it. It's like, I got to do IVF because of you. This is ridiculous. This is bullshit. This should be you. I was, I was doing all that and it was terrible. It, you know, in retrospect, it, it's my greatest regret probably in life that I did that because I know how badly he felt anyway. And I was just adding to it. I was not helping. Now, once I got my own diagnosis, it was, I just did a 180. I was like, okay, you know what? Let's do this. Let's, let's dig in. Let's get this fixed. And, and hopefully we'll have success. So it, it really, you know, as, as strange as it sounds, getting that diagnosis was the, the catalyst that changed everything for us. Probably saved my marriage, honestly. Who says that? <laughs> no, but that's real. That's very real. And unfortunately, I've seen people break up over the almost three years I've been actively in the community as an advocate. They break up after IVF. People are surprised, but I'm like, mm, nothing happens overnight, you guys. You know, and so I'm glad you said that because there may be a friend out there listening who needed to hear that and need to do the work to fix it. Yeah, don't be afraid to say you're sorry. Yeah. You know, like I, I apologize and I said, you, we will never hear that from me again. And, and it's something that I have upheld to this day. It's something I'll take to my grave with me. I'll never, ever say anything to him again because it was me, you know, and I just felt like I was above this. I'm above fertility treatment. I don't need this. Well, yes, I do. And, and I'm part of it. And I'm proud to say that that I went through this and fortunately for us, we, we did have success. So, I mean, it was all worth it in the end, but in the time, I mean, you just feel like you're in this vortex of just uncertainty and that's what kills you. And that's what kills couples. The stress of it is, is unreal. You're always waiting for something. You're waiting for your period. You're waiting for it to stop. You're waiting for a test result. It's, it's awful. And people just don't get it who, who haven't lived it. You can't possibly understand it. And I feel like now with people waiting longer, especially women, you know, in all of American history, this is the most free we've ever been, right? And so I feel like we are waiting longer and we are statistically, the, the numbers are there. You can't lie with the data. We're waiting longer, men and women alike. And I find that even people who are, who have infertility because of age, until they're on the track to have children, it's still very difficult for even for them to truly understand the magnitude of what it's really like, unfortunately, you know, but that's why we're here, bringing awareness, right? And, and stumbles upon the ear of someone who may need to hear it if they have a family member going through it. But that's all we can do is just use our voices however we see fit and on platforms like this and like your book as well to make sure that we're taking care of our spouses um, in the midst of all of this craziness. And so you get, you get your diagnosis of endometriosis. And I know you said you're a very gung-ho person. Once you have your mind committed, you're ready to go. And so did you feel that way about getting the procedure done to have it possibly removed? Did you have the procedure to have it removed? I'm glad you brought this up too, Monique. I had to fight to have a laparoscopy because their way of treating endo is you're going to do 60 days of Lupron. I was like, if I do 60 days of Lupron, I'm going to be doing five to 10 years in jail because that stuff made me fruit loops. I was a mess. So... I said, I, I think that, you know, I would do better with a laparoscopy because we're not just putting a Band-Aid on the problem. We're actually getting rid of it. And while the surgeon is in there, 
they can look around and see if there's any other problems. So then it was, well, you know, we, we need to discuss it as a team. I was like, right, then discuss it as a team. I don't care. So on the day of my egg retrieval, she said, you know, we talked it over. You know, it's like we consulted my panel of judges and they said that you can have a laparoscopy. And I was like, oh, well, thank you. I can't wait to have my laparoscopy now. So thankfully that egg retrieval, and I'm glad that you, you touched on age-related infertility because I have that too. So after the, the failed transfer, it's, well, getting old, Jade, you're 36 and your ovaries are 36, maybe even older, then it becomes that too. So now I have diminished ovarian reserve. I'm like, all right, well, fine. But we ended up thankfully on that retrieval, getting a genetically normal embryo, just one. And afterwards I, I got the laparoscopy, which was way better than having sur uh, uh, the Lupron because I was better. I was back to work. I think I had the surgery Monday. I was back to work by Thursday and I didn't have to take all those crazy hormones. And I noticed that, you know, my periods became more manageable. They're a lot lighter. I was bleeding out of like ultra tampons since the surgery. It was kind of restored back to the way it was when, when that wasn't happening, you know, like probably prior to my thirties. So I think there's a lot of women. I think the doctor said to me, it was about 50% of all women don't know that they have this. It's important for any listeners who, who may suspect that maybe you have this issue, talk to your clinic and, and get that biopsy done. It's, it's definitely worth it. I don't think insurance covers it, but it's, it's worth whatever you have to pay for it to, to avoid potentially having a failed transfer because nobody wants that. It's horrible. Fine. But I did have stage two endometriosis. They said I had, you know, I had it on my uh, fallopian tubes. I had it on the pouch of Douglas, which again, not a biology teacher. So wherever that is, I had it there. I had like some weird cysts that had to go out to get biopsy. Thankfully, everything was normal with that, but they got rid of it and, and I was ready to have my transfer. So I noticed start of the transfer cycle that all of my numbers were a lot better. Like I was absorbing the progesterone a lot better because we know that endo is, is resistant to that because your body's always fighting off stuff. So I was gaining confidence that we would have success on our, on our second go around. When you began this net transfer, I know that you probably felt, or I'm asking, did you feel like this time it would work? I was feeling much more confident because the first time we were just kind of going into it blindly and, and I, I let that happen. I just, the, my, my attitude going into that first cycle of IVF was just blinders on the less I know the happier I'm going to be. I was, I was going the ignorance is bliss route, but this second time around I'm watching every move that you make. I'm, I'm questioning, I'm speaking up about this because I don't want this to happen again. So I, you know, the clinic, I'm sure I had like, you know, 18 red flags around my file, you know, like this woman is crazy. She's a bitch. She's this, she's that, you know what? Everybody's crazy and a bitch until, you know, you have all these things go wrong because going through IVF is crazy and it's a bitch. It's, it's all of the above. Technically it was my fourth IVF cycle because we tried directly after the failed transfer to do another cycle and my body wasn't ready for it. My FSH, I think, was like 22 or something because I was coming off all the, the transfer meds and I wasn't ready for it. So the, she never should have even let me do it. So I was mad about that because our insurance allows us four tries. We, fortunately, we live in a state where we, our insurance does offer infertility coverage. And, and I was really pissed that, that this erased one of our chances in case we needed to use it again. We tried again. It was like November. We tried again. And this time they switched up the protocol. They wanted me to take birth control simultaneously with the Lupron. And my body was like, what the hell's going on here? So I ended up ovulating early and that negated that cycle. Finally, I called the clinic and I was like, I haven't gotten my period yet. This is a problem. 
I've been on Lupron like cold turkey now for I don't know how long. I'm, I'm like fingernails on a chalkboard. I'm like, you know, ready to explode because you know how crazy that stuff makes you. They're like, no, 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 give it more time. I was like, I'm coming in tomorrow. If you don't pencil me in, I'm just going to show up. So I did stay. And lo and behold, they, they discovered through the blood test that I did ovulate and, and through the ultrasound that I ovulated. So if I didn't go in there and say something like, hey, something is wrong. There's, this is not going as planned. I would have been on, I'd probably still be on Lupron today. And it's, you know, how long? <laughs> the clinics, I don't know if the ones in, in your area, I would imagine they all shut down over the holidays. They're closed from, you know, end of December till early January. So then we had to wait until January. So now we're waiting until January. Wonderful. So we're just really upset. We're really anxious. So we go to get a third, second opinion at a smaller clinic. So this clinic, the doctor herself answered the phone. So thought, because when you're in that vortex of the crazy, like everything sounds like a good idea. Whatever can help, that's what we're doing. We go in there, the place smells. It's weird. It looked like the Max from like Saved by the Bell with those like little square glass windows. It was really strange. The rooms were painted bright blue and pink. Then we go into her office and, and that's where the real crazy was because they, she had magazines stacked probably two feet in the air and dolls. There are at least six dolls in that office. And I don't know what was going on with those dolls, but it was crazy. So she's, she's on the phone. She's, you know, writing down our information, but then taking calls from other patients and writing their stuff down on the page that she's using to record our stuff. It was, it was all sorts of crazy. She was like the mad professor, scientist, whatever you want to call her. And then in that same conversation, she said, if we don't have insurance, she'd be happy to get us drugs from Mexico. She's like one of them sketchy docs. Like <laughs> the moment you said she had like the door, the school, the high school door window and stuff. I'm like, wait a minute. This sounds a little sketchy. Wow. OMG. So did you run? What happens next? You know, what's interesting is, and this is indicative of anybody who has gone through this, is that we really heard her out and we really considered like, okay, you know, can I do this? And ultimately, like, I can't have a surgery in that place. I just, I can't. She talked about also sedating people for an embryo transfer, which I was like, why would, why are we doing that? Why are we sedating people for an embryo transfer? You don't need that. So it was very strange. She ultimately did not get our business. It was, it was another box to check. Hey, we got another opinion and we tried something. Cause you just, you always feel like you have to be doing something. Cause if you have doing, to be, yes. yeah, you have to be like, all right, we're working towards it. Because the whole point, you know, the whole infertility thing is like, you feel like you're running on the treadmill while everybody's life is is moving forward. And that's the frustrating thing about it. Yeah. The little chunky hamster on the hamster wheel. Yeah. Yeah. That's how we feel. Yeah. And we're the hamster with moving. like three legs or like the yeah. long. <laughs> I'm telling you. <laughs> I'm telling you. OMG, but you're so right though. We definitely, we, I've had other guests talk about medical red flags as well. And so you're okay. We've talked about this before and it is unreal how common it is and how much more of it I am hearing. And in my mind, I'm like, well, this is fertility related. Surely I'm not going to have to deal with medical red flags and all those things. Like that's me and thinking. And so I feel like that was probably you too at the time. Like, surely this, this can't be this, like what I'm seeing cannot be something out of a horror film for Candyman or something. You know what I mean? Like, come on. Wild. I couldn't get past the dolls. Like, I, re- I just couldn't get, I was like, why are, why are they here? I don't understand. Creepy. Okay. Dolls and clowns, dolls of clowns. Like, mm-mm. 
You can do any of that stuff. I feel you. So where did you guys go from there? Did you find another place that you could have your procedure? We stuck with the original clinic. So, I mean, we never, as much as we cheated on the clinic, we never actually left them. We played them a little bit, but, you know, we, we ultimately, we loved the one we were with. That day, the embryo transfer, we transferred it July, in July. It, the day just went a lot better. There's no crisis in the OR. Comes in, of course, you answer all the questions, make sure it's you. I said to the doctor, I said, I, I just feel like it's going to work out this time. And she said, you know what? I do too. So that felt good to get that validation. It was smooth. Like this time, I think the whole transfer was like three minutes. I know this because uh, spouses were not allowed to come into the OR because of COVID. I, I videoed the whole thing. I, I'm sure other ladies can uh, can relate because spouses, I, I don't know if they're letting them in or not, but I was told at that point that, that spouses are, are not never allowed to come back to the OR again, which which sucks. Like that's not fair. It's, it's a big life event if it works out, you know, like you want to be there for that. It, that's the biggest message that I like to, you know, to get through the book, through this, this interview is for anybody, if you feel like, you know, intimidated by your doctor, I know it can be very intimidating to speak up to folks who are supposed to know everything. They don't know your body more than you do. And if something is off, it probably is. And if nothing else, just ask the question. They can't get, be mad at you for asking a question. And if you feel strongly about something, you fight for it because it's your body and it's your heartache. If this doesn't work out in the end, it's not theirs because they're not going home feeling sorry for you. And they're not living this. Thank you for that reminder, too, because I think that's an on-time reminder, especially with so many medical red flags happening for people all over the place. So you have the retrieval. You do your two-week wait. What are you doing for your two-week wait? How did you spend your time? Anything you remember? This one was going to be different, Monique. I was not going on Google ever till like the third day. And I was like, that's it. You know, like it was, it's like the floodgates open. And I was like, I'm giving myself, you know, 15 minutes of, uh, of Google time. Then it was 20, then it was 30, then it was an hour. I want to say it was like the following day after the retrieval, I felt like a pulsing in my pelvis area, pelvic area. I was like, maybe this is happening. Maybe I'm losing my mind. Let me Google both because, you know, like either is possible at this point because it just, it drives you up a wall. The day finally came. Yeah, I call it the 12 days of waiting because that's what it was at our, our clinic. We had to wait 12 days. I didn't test at home. I didn't cheat. I didn't do any of that. So we waited for the blood test and then, you know, the results usually posted at around 11 o'clock in the morning on the portal. I, I know most clinics use a portal now. And of course they didn't post till 1245 because why not? Of course, we're waiting for something important. And I saw it pop up and I'm sitting there with my husband because he came home to sit with me so we could either drive together to the nearest mental institution or celebrate our win. I didn't want to click on it. I was scared, but finally I was like, I have to know. HCG was, I think, 1235. So it was, it was sky high. And I was, you know, we were just overjoyed because we felt like, my God, there's finally light at the end of the tunnel because infertility feels infinite. It feels like it's never going to stop. And now finally we were looking at a finish line and it, um, it just felt so good. I wish every story could end this way. And so when did you start writing the book? When did that all happen? When did you get the bright idea the light bulb goes off? And I know your baby's very young still. So when did you have time, girl, to even write that book? I'm a teacher, so I get summers off. I had a whole summer of not doing what I usually do, which is, you know, hanging out at the pool, having some cocktails, going out with friends. And plus it was COVID. So I mean, things were still closed or open or who knows what. And I felt like crap because I was on the, uh, double dose of progesterone, the injection and the suppository, which is fun. Everybody loves a suppository, right? Who doesn't? So I just felt super tired all the time. And throughout my 
infertility experience, I, I did therapy because I think therapy is, you need it. If not couples, at least individual therapy. So the whole time I would sit, you know, these therapy sessions and just be like, I, I should write a book about this. This, this shit is crazy that I'm doing. You know, this, this experience has just been nuts. And finally I just sat down and I did it because I had plenty of free time. <laughs> it's not a long book. It's, it's a book you could knock down in an hour and change. Probably there's a lot of big takeaways in it. And the biggest one is that you've got to speak up for yourself at, at many of these clinics. You are just a number, you know, whether you have success or not, your doctor still gets paid. So you got to think about yourself first and make sure that you're doing what you need to do to be okay. And that, that includes, you know, within the clinic and outside of the clinic. If you don't want to go to your best friend's baby shower, don't go. If you can't handle being on social media, don't do it. Just, just shut it down or mute, at least mute the people who are posting pictures of Mikey went pee pee in the potty today for the first time. Yay. Happy smile. Like we don't need to see that. You don't, you don't need to see that and just know that it's, it's okay to not be okay with this. And I think that's the biggest thing is that everybody feels like they need to be strong and I can do this. And there's just some things that are bigger than enough than us. And for me, infertility, that was it. It was, it was bigger than me and I needed help and I'm glad that I got it. And I, I think I'm walking away from this, a better, a better human, but you just feel more compassionate towards everyone else, you know, whether they're going through infertility or not, you just never know what people are dealing with behind the scenes. And then that's something that. I try to keep in mind anyway, when I'm at, at my job, I think that it's, it's definitely something I do a lot more now too. I'm so glad you said that. I was going to ask you anyway, a last word for the friends listening, but you've said it all and given us some great, great reminders, especially about our social media usage. And then also just being an advocate, being an advocate. So where can we find your book, girl? Where can we where can we get us a copy of? You can check me out on Amazon. Download it on Kindle for 99 cents. And if you have Kindle Unlimited, it is free. For me, it's not about making money. It's about getting my story out there and helping anyone else who is experiencing the hell that is infertility. Because I think there's a lot, a lot that you can take away from it. You don't have to be like us. You don't have to write a book, create platforms, and create community to feel connected to community which is what I feel like Jay was also reminding us of today. Also, you don't have to tell anybody either in your in your personal lives right away. Do it when you feel comfortable, no matter how you deal with it, that it, it's, it's okay. <laughs> and it's going to be okay. And you will survive this however your story ends. If you have social media handles, you'd like us to connect with you further. That, you can check me out on Instagram. Uh, if you want to DM me, we can always talk. I'm happy to uh, talk about really anything. Find me at author on Instagram. That's probably the best way to uh, get a hold of me. You can catch me on email. Happy to answer any emails. If anybody just wants to reach out, just to chat, say hi. Or if you've read the book, you could say, well, at least I'm not as crazy as her because there's a lot going on there in that book that uh, would definitely qualify me under the crazy umbrella. You can find me author at gmail.com. So I look forward to speaking to some of you. Thank you so much, Jade, for being a part of the show today and sharing with us your insight, your wisdom, and your struggles and telling it in your own way authentically. I appreciate you. Thank you so much for having me, Monique. This was awesome. Thank you, friends, for tuning in to another episode of Infertility and Me Podcast. You guys know where to find me. Infertility and Me Podcast on Instagram only. Peace and blessings. At Parker, our purpose is simple. We want to make the world a better place. By working more efficiently. By using more sustainable practices. By developing better technologies, we keep moving forward. With each new idea, innovation, and partnership, 
we're one step closer to fulfilling our purpose every single day. To find out more, visit parker.com slash purpose. Parker, engineering your success.